spent some time in the last year or so um, teaching um, the error of doctrine that a lot of false teachers do. We made the statement that there are a lot of false teachers today that are very easy for us to know they're false teachers. <clears throat> Pretty much anything you turn on on the television, you can almost mark it down, they're going to be false teachers. Uh, very, very few that have any kind of truth in what they teach at all. Uh, and uh, so you've got to be very, very careful of these things. A lot of times people will say, well, Pastor, I've been watching this person on YouTube or that person. Uh, I would warn very strongly against many of that and most of that because most of those are going to be in doctrinal error, especially if they have any kind of large ministry at all. Uh, the reason the world likes them and, and flocks to them is because of the doctrinal error uh, that is there. So you've got to be careful of that. I'm not saying all of them are, but... Uh, that is a that is a big source of them, and so you have to be very very cautious of these things. And so we've spent some time uh, teaching you to beware of false teachers. And the last three weeks we've been trying to give you some biblical principles and guidelines on uh, how to discern what what false teachers are. Uh, they were in place in Paul's day, even in his time. He's already writing letters to these churches, telling them to beware of these false teachers that were already creeping in in that very first century church. And so the battle that we're facing of false teachers is nothing new. It's something that Satan has used from uh, the time of Christ to infiltrate and to distort and to, um, uh, to violate and to cause um, a lot of uh, error to creep in in our doctrine and in our scriptures. And uh, he does that in several ways. We've talked a little bit about that. There's two primary ways that he does this. First of all is by, uh, by um, uh, adding two. Uh, God's Word. He'll use a little bit of truth, and then he'll add in his error. So it sounds like, and he disguises it often as truth, and then he'll bring in that little bit of doctrinal error. The other way he does it is by undermining the authority of Scripture. And what he does by what he accomplishes by doing that is get men to stand behind pulpits and to teach things based on the authority of their mindset or their morals or their ideas, rather than saying, "Thus saith the Lord," or "Here's here's the Scripture on it." And so Satan uses those two primary ways, adding to truth to make it sound like it's truthful and really it's, it's, it's doctrinal error, or to undermine Scripture. And then there is no authority. And we've got to be so careful. I, I've said this so often before. There are men that are, that are solid men doctrinally and spiritually that are quickly getting swept up in this thing of coming to Scripture and saying, well, this... Word is is not translated the best way, and it would be better translated. And then they give some better translation, they think. And we've got to be careful of that, because what we're doing every time we do that is we're saying that the book that we hold in our hands is fallible, that it's not the best it can be, and therefore we're undermining the very authority that we're using to base our doctrine on. So when we come to Scripture, we must know that we hold in our hands a preserved, inspired, every single word is exactly the word God had for us in the English-speaking Bible of the King James Version. We must hold to this. If we do not have that as an authority, then we have no authority. We now have preachers getting up and teaching their philosophies and their, their mindset, and the Bible warns us against that, that we are to beware uh, by the philosophy, the vain philosophies and the, uh, the vain teachings of men. And so we're to be careful of these things. So we've taught all this over the last several weeks. We've given you some reasons behind uh, why false teachers do some of this. Some of it is because uh, they want to, to get gain of you. In fact, the vast majority of them is because they want to get gain, or either by, by material possessions 
or by influence or uh, by lifting them up and, and putting them in some kind of a position of leadership nationally or worldwide as a spiritual leader, they, they, they crave those things. They crave the, 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 the status. They crave the, the affluence. They crave the, 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 the monetary uh, things. And um, it, it's sad to see because their motivation is certainly not a biblical one. It's not a godly one. And uh, then uh, we talked a little bit about the fact that they often prey on spiritual immaturity. And so one of the great, great uh, problems in our churches today is they, in order to get a crowd, they teach a lot of feel-good messages. They do a lot of promotion and try to get all these large crowds to come. And the problem is they are propagating spiritual immaturity. And that group of spiritually immature people uh, that are not grounded in doctrine are susceptible to the teaching of these false teachers. And we're seeing folks leave our churches by the droves and flock to these large um, ecumenical ministries that are uh, come-as-you-are, leave-as-you-were kind of ministries because we have people sitting in the pews of our churches that are not grounded doctrinally. Very, very vitally important. In fact, Brother Chris and I were talking a little bit at dinner tonight uh, the importance of this, that there are people who misunderstand and they, they hold to things and the reason they do is because they've just not been taught from Scripture. And we've got to be so careful of this. Look with me, if you will, in Matthew chapter number 7 and verse number 15. Beware of false prophets which come to you, notice this phrase, in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. You shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or of figs or of thistles? Even so every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. And so uh, I want to just point out this fact that the false teachers that are easy to discern are easy to discern. But there are false teachers. There are those men that are doctrinally wrong on Scripture that are not as easily to discern that they're false teachers. The Bible tells us here that we've got to beware because even though they're ravening wolves, they will appear and they will come in sheep's clothing. In fact, the Bible says that even Satan's ministers can often be portrayed as ministers of righteousness. And so we've got to make sure that you and I have some way to discern what a false teacher is. It's easy to look and call out names. Uh, Jesse DePlanis, Kenneth Copeland, some of these guys, and uh, Joel Osteen's, and we can say, look, these are false teachers. But you can walk into a church kind of like this one is tonight that maybe even holds a King James Bible on their lap and maybe even sings the, the, the old hymns. And the man get up and behind the pulpit and teach doctrinal error and does it on purpose to distort truth and to mislead his people. Those are not as easy to discern, are they? We've got to be so careful of this. So what do we use to discern whether a teacher is a false teacher or not? Is it just we don't feel right about his teaching? Is it just that we sit in the pews and that just doesn't sound right to us? Well, I'll tell you this. If you're walking with God and reading Scripture and it just doesn't sound right to you, that ought to at least be a warning flag. But that's not our measurement for a false teacher. Because it could be that he just didn't, didn't have a good personality that day and you didn't like him. We must have a determining factor. We must have a rule of measure that we measure these men by, that you measure even this pastor by, and say, I want to know whether or not he's preaching truth or not. And that measure is what? Scripture. Scripture. Everything that is taught, whether from this pulpit or any pulpit you ever sit under, 
must be checked according to Scripture. This book is our measurement. This book is the tape measure that measures whether or not a man is a false teacher or not. We must come to its pages. And that's why it's so important that even as, even as just church members, and I, I just say that carefully because I think we get in our minds that, that, that we have pastors who are on an elevated level spiritually, that God gives them some kind of special understanding of Scripture that, that normal people sitting in the pews of our churches don't get. Can I tell you this? We are all saved by the grace of God. This side of Calvary, all of us have the Holy Spirit of God living inside of us. All of us have the same ability to have Him teach us in all truth as any preacher standing in the pulpit. It is vitally important that we challenge and encourage and edify each other to study Scripture. It's not enough for us to just pay some money to the church as a, as a tithe or an offering to give the pastor a paycheck and then say, well, it's his job to study Scripture and then tell me what it says. That is not what's supposed to happen, folks. You are to study a Scripture so that you're not led away by false teachers. I may not always be here. You've got to be able to discern according to Scripture. And so uh, even Christ was telling His disciples, you're going to have to beware, because there's going to come some of these, these false teachers, these false prophets that are ravening wolves. They're going to look like they're the right kind of people. They're going to come in sheep's clothing. And if you don't have spiritual discernment, if you don't have understanding from Scripture, you might be deceived by them, and follow after their pernicious ways. So we've got to be so careful of that. So we've dealt with all that in the last several weeks. That kind of brings you up to speed. Let's go now to Matthew chapter number 7. You should already be there. We're going to look down. I'm going to give you five things, and we've got about 20 minutes here, uh, Lord willing, to get them all done. And I think we can get through all five of these. I'm going to give you five things that the Scripture says that help us to determine whether someone is a false teacher or not. And to see what it is that false teachers either do or don't do, that tell us they're a false teacher. And uh, now I will tell you this, uh, these are five things in Scripture. There are probably others in Scripture. I'm not saying these are the only five. So don't just come to it and say, well, they didn't meet the five things that Pastor told us, so they must be okay. <laughs> Study Scripture. Check everything you do with Scripture. Make sure that they understand it. Let's look at, first of all, uh, in verse number 24. We're going to read several verses. Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which buildeth his house upon a rock, and rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon the house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. Now notice the next portion. And every one that heareth these sayings of mine, and doeth them not, shall be likened unto a foolish man who built his house upon the sand, and the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon the house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. The first thing that I think is a true giveaway of a false teacher is one who will ignore or reject the very words of Christ Himself. Uh, I shared with you a few weeks ago this uh, clip I saw on YouTube, and it's been going around uh, of this church out in Oklahoma that supposedly had the greatest Easter service. And the preacher, uh, apparently, in, in telling his people about this, this program, that they weren't preaching on Easter, they were just going to have a program 
uh, a play, some kind of big dramatic uh, spectacular. And, they're, uh, and he told his, his creative team that was developing this, he said, we don't want to just have the humdrum story of the resurrection. And I'm kind of paraphrasing how he said it, but, but this in just was what he was saying. We don't want to just have the, the same old boring story of the resurrection. Uh, this has got to be spectacular. And his creative team asked him, said, well, Pastor, how far do you want us to go? And his, his words were this, everything we can short of sin itself. Now, folks, I'm going to tell you something. If the words of God don't do the work in a man's heart, then the work is not going to be done no matter what man adds to it. And we're going to gain, we're going to gain a crowd, and there's going to be people sit there, and when the pyrotechnics go off and the lights go down and the strobe lights flash and the smoke is coming up and the loud music is blaring, it will overpower and overwhelm the senses of a man. But that is an emotional change, not a transformation in the heart. And we've got to make sure that when it comes to these false teachers, that we are not enamored with all of the things that they do contrary to Scripture. To say, well, we want to go outside of Scripture to, to accomplish this work. I was listening to a fellow about four or five months ago, and he made this statement. He was preaching. He said, I, I had, the Lord told me something. Now, anytime somebody says the Lord told me something, and they don't say, let me show you in Scripture, you need to question it. In fact, don't question it. Just run from it. All right? He got up and he said, now the Lord told me something. And here's what he said. Don't bother looking in your Bibles for it. It's not in there. False teacher. He's not giving to you the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's not teaching to you the Scripture. He's teaching to you the things that he thinks. By the way, we say, hey man, preacher, that's a false teacher. You and I need to be careful. Telling one another, well, the Lord told me the other day, and it's not something we can point to Scripture on and say, there's where He showed it to me. Now, the Lord speaks to us today, but He speaks to us through His Word, and as His Holy Spirit gives us understanding of His Word. He does not speak to us audibly. He does not give us things that are not found in Scripture. All the revelation that we were to have, we have completed in our Bibles. Anybody that adds to it, takes away from it, Paul said, let him be accursed. He's a false teacher. So one of the key word, key, key ingredients of a false teacher is one that will go outside of this book, either telling you things that are, are in addition to it or that are contrary to it. You can mark it down, not most of the time, not a lot of the time, but every single time he will be a false teacher, or in this day and age, she will be a false teacher. And that in and of itself ought to tell you enough that they're a false teacher. You've got to be so careful of these things that they reject or deny the Word of God. These preachers that will get up in pulpits and say, well, uh, we know the Bible says this over here, but Jesus loved everybody. And so we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna do something contrary to what He said earlier because we understand His heart. Folks, that is not of God. People that are saying it's okay to embrace the LGBTQ group and to bring them into our church and let them practice openly their sin in our church and be agreeable to it. And even in some churches, celebrate it. That is not of God. And I don't care what kind of excuse they give about, well, God loves everybody. He does. That's why He told the woman that He found in sin, "Go and neither do I condemn thee. Go and what? Sin no more. He didn't say, keep on doing it. I love you. 
He said, I love you. I'm not going to condemn you. Go and sin no more. And folks, these folks that will get up here and teach these things are false teachers. Mark it down. Mark it down every single time. Number two, let's look over in Matthew chapter number 15, if you will, for a moment. Matthew chapter 15. <clears throat> Excuse me. And we're going to begin reading in verse number 3. Matthew chapter 15 and verse number 3. But when he answered and said unto them, Why do you also, why do you also transgress the commandment of God by your, notice this, tradition? In other words, there's a commandment that God has, but you are not following it because you are following your tradition. So there's two things that are diametrically opposed here. It's what God has said, and it's what man has said. And they do not agree. He says, For God commanded, saying, Honor thy father and mother, and he that curseth father or mother, let him die the death. But ye say, Whosoever shall say to his father or his mother, It is a gift by whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me, and honor not his father or his mother, he shall be free. Now that's what man says, by the way. Thus have ye made the commandment of God of none effect by your uh, tradition, ye hypocrites. Well did Isaiah the prophet of you uh, uh, prophesy of you, saying, This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth, and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. What's he talking about here? The Old Testament law was this: that if you had an elderly and aging father and mother, that you were to care for them with a portion of what you earned every day. It was part of you keeping a part of your family. In fact, even in the New Testament, it teaches us that if a man doesn't care for his family, he's worse than an infidel. That same thing holds true, that we are to care for our family members. What was happening in the day that, that Jesus was speaking of here is these Pharisees had come out, and they had found a loophole around the law that there was, uh, there was a, uh, a portion that they could say, I have set this portion of my gain aside as a gift unto God. And therefore, it cannot be used to care for my mom and dad. And basically, they would make a vow to give a gift to God, set the money aside, and then say, parents, I can't take care of you because this is a gift. And then they would never give the gift. And they were finding a loophole around it. And it became a tradition. It was what the Pharisees had taught. That, hey, if you can, if you can say it's a gift, you don't have to give it to your mom and dad. You don't have to use it to care for them. And Jesus said, you have violated my commandment by making a tradition. And I have said this so often before that we never, never, never should put the word of a man, any man, or any number of men above Scripture. I have sat in people's homes many times in the last 30 years. And heard people say, well, this is what I've always been taught. And they cannot point to a Scripture to see why they were taught. Now, folks, there are some things I've been taught that are good things for me to live by, but I better not look at them and say they're scriptural because they're not. There's some things that, that I've been raised to do. I was raised to open the door for a woman. I was raised to say yes, sir, and yes, ma'am, and no, sir, and no, ma'am. And there are principles of honoring people and honoring your elders, and I understand those things. But there are things that we have been taught 
that maybe even are good things. But we cannot come to them and say, this is where the Bible says we have to do this. We've got to be so careful of this. Um, we could debate the point all night about, does the Bible say you have to say yes, sir, and yes, ma'am? Well, it does say we're to honor our parents. I understand that. It does say we're to honor our elders. But honor in different societies is a lot of different things. And to come up with a specific thing and say you have to do this or it's sinful, I don't think we can come to those places in Scripture oftentimes. We've got to be careful that we come to the Scriptures for what the Scripture says. There's a lot of things that we have held to over the years, a lot of things that churches will say, that's the way I was raised, that's the way it's always been, and so that's what we hold to that cannot be found in Scripture. Are they bad things? Maybe they're not bad things, but they're not found in Scripture. Be very, very careful of these things. These are traditions that often are there. Traditions are not bad in and of themselves, provided they do not supersede Scripture. That they do not take the authority over Scripture. I don't think you ought to just avoid traditions just for the sake of it being a tradition. But when it begins to become the authority rather than this book, then there's something wrong. We've got to be careful of them. All right, let's turn to Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter number 7. And uh, let's look in verse number 9. Mark chapter number 7 and verse number 9. <clears throat> I'm sorry, verse number 6. I got the wrong, wrong verse here. Sorry about that. Mark chapter 7, verse 6. He answered and said unto them, Well hath Isaiah prophesied of you hypocrites, as it is written, The people honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Howbeit in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men." And we've just talked about it being their traditions or their commandments. But these are rules that are added to the Word of God. Men that will try to add things to Scripture that are not there. We've got to be very careful of those things and make sure that we are not holding to them as Bible doctrine. Um, trying to think of a good illustration here. When I was in Bible college, our hair standard on men was that it had to be off of the ears and it had to be tapered in the back and off of the collar. Now, it certainly talks about men having shorter hair and the fact that that makes a man and that there's some uh, reasons for that, that women are to have the longer hair and that is a glory to them. But nowhere in the Bible does it say that it's sin if the hair touches your ear or if it touches your collar. And I've actually had people come and say, well, if it touches your collar, you're sinful. You're not right with God. The Bible says you shouldn't let it touch your collar. No, it doesn't. It says I'm not to have long hair. It doesn't have anything to do with my collar. It doesn't have anything to do with where my ears are. i got little bitty ears. That means I could have longer hair than some people who have the really big ears. And I use that, and we, we laugh at that, but the truth is, how many things get passed off in our, in our, in our circles that we say that is a sinful thing or a not sinful thing, that are not sinful or not sinful things in Scripture. Now, is it wrong for that college to have that standard? No. They're an administration. They can set the standard wherever they want to. But don't say that it is sinful because the Bible says it if you don't follow that exact standard. There are standards that are given by way of principle of Scripture, and I understand that. But where that line is drawn is subjective. 
And it is fine to teach it. And it is fine to teach it as being Christ-honoring and glorifying, but don't say that it's in Scripture. Don't come and establish doctrine on it and say that if you don't do it, you're sinful. Because the Bible doesn't go there. Don't add to Scripture. Don't put rules. In fact, Paul was constantly combating all these Judaizers who were trying to come to the early church and say, you've got to, it's okay to have faith, but you also have to keep all of the law. You've got to make sure all these standards. Now, were those standards bad? No, they weren't bad. But were they required by Scripture? No, they weren't. And so we've got to be careful that when men come and they begin to put undue things that are not said in Scripture as burdens upon people, that's a false teacher. We've got to be careful of these things. Matthew chapter 23, if you will. Matthew chapter 23. By the way, let me just say this on that point, and then I'm going to go on. If you willingly, by reading Scripture, and you feel like the Holy Spirit has convicted you to have a particular standard that is higher than something you've been taught, there is nothing wrong with you having that higher standard. But you cannot condemn someone else for not having it. Unless you can point to it in Scripture. You've got to be so careful of these things. All right. Matthew chapter 23. Matthew 23 and verse number 23. He says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin, and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. These ought ye to have done, and not to leave the other undone. Ye blind guides would strain at a gnat and swallow a camel. And this is where God's Word is selectively obeyed. In other words, we focus in on, boy, that's an area of Scripture. Um, <laughs> it's amazing to me that when there are lists that are given in Scripture on certain things, we have our, our, our pet ones. Now, uh, I'm, going to use, I'm going to use the illustration of homosexuality for a moment. We all know that the Bible tells us that homosexuality is an abomination. Would we be in agreement on that? God considers it an abomination. We can't stand it because we know that God considers it an abomination, don't we? But have you ever taken the time to read the list which says, these six things things doth the Lord hate, yea, seven, are an abomination? Can I tell you the first one is not homosexuality. The very first one, top of the list, we don't like to think about it, is a proud look. Now, let me ask you a question. When was the last time we detested, hated, rose up, wrote articles on the Facebook, went out here and protested against proud looks? We don't because we, we have that and we don't like to convict ourselves about it. We cannot selectively apply Scripture. Years ago, there was a, a song that came out, my dad... My dad used to let us sing it in the youth group years ago. Is God said it, I believe it, that settles it. And he sang that for two or three years with the youth group. And one day he was up in chapel and he said, you know, I got to thinking about that song the other day. He said, you know, God said it, and it doesn't matter whether I believe it or not. That still settles it. If God said it, I don't care if I like it or I don't like it. I don't care if I believe it or don't believe it. I, I still have to follow it. I don't get to select and pick and choose. What had happened here is these Pharisees, once again, had begun to focus in on the nitty-gritty pickiness of tithing, the issue of tithing. And, and notice what he says here in verse 23. 
He says, Woe unto you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have omitted the weightier matters of all. And what, they were, what he was getting at was this. They, they knew that the, the Israelites knew that they were to tithe of their crops, they were to tithe of their herds. But the, the Pharisees came and said, Listen, you guys are backslidden because not only do we tithe of our flocks and our herds and our crops, but even if we grow little herbs in the windowsill, we want to make sure that we tithe even off of those things. And they were like straining at these little, little insignificant issues. And look what Jesus said. He said, Woe unto you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay the tithe of mint, anise, and cumin, and have omitted the what? Weightier matters of the law. In other words, there were matters of judgment that were being swept under the rug. There were matters of mercy that they were not even dealing with. There were matters of faith they weren't even dealing with. But they were going from house to house to make sure that that little herb you paid your 10% on. You know what they were doing? They were selectively applying Scripture. Folks, we could sit here and say, boy, those Pharisees, boy, they were hypocrites. The Lord was right to do that. Do you know how often you and I focus in on the little nitpicky things and the weightier matters? We, We leave those undone. We don't even bother worrying about those. Things like sharing the gospel with someone who's lost. And we're sitting here wondering uh, whether we should have leavened or unleavened bread in the Lord's Supper or whether, whether we should have it once a week or once a month. Oh, we've got to be so careful of this stuff. Notice also as we get into here in uh, Acts chapter 20, We've got to be careful about selectively applying or not applying Scripture. But lastly, in Acts chapter number 20, let's turn over there for a moment. Acts chapter 20, and let's look in verse number 25. And now, behold, I know that ye all among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God shall see my face no more. Wherefore, I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. These teachers will be those that will distort and pervert the truth. These are perverse things. They'll take the Word of God and they will violate them. And they will turn them into things that they're trying to use to draw men away of their own lusts and to entice them. In the Garden of Eden, when the serpent was tempting Eve, he asked her, if they were allowed to eat of all the fruits of the trees of the garden. And she expressed, expressed all but the one, of course. And he said, she said, that tree, God hath said, you shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die, which we have no record of him saying you couldn't touch it, but that's what she said. And she goes on, she goes on the Bible goes on to say, but when she saw that the tree was good for food and pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit and gave also to her husband with her and he did eat. Why? 
How did she get to the place where she saw that the tree was good for food and pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise? Because the serpent said, Ye shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. What did he do? He twisted the Scriptures, didn't he? He brought some perverseness to the truth. And it deceived Eve. It caused her to fall into sin. Lot, who was Abraham's nephew, uh, uh, had been blessed of the Lord and, and his flocks had grown greatly. <clears throat> his servants began to fight and argue with Abraham's servants. And so Abraham called Lot to him one day, took him up on a hillside, and he said, Look out here, he said, there's so much land, our, our, our men shouldn't be fighting. There's enough room for all of us. He said, you, you pick whichever way you want to go, and I'll go the other way. And that way we can still love each other, we'll still be a family, we won't have to be at odds. And we all know the story how that Lot uh, saw the well-watered plains of Sodom, and, and he pitched his tent toward Sodom, the Bible says. It didn't start off in Sodom, but he, he went that direction. We all know the story how eventually he ends up in Sodom, and how God came and destroyed that city. But you know, later on in the New Testament, the Bible says that just Lot, meaning he was a just man, just Lot, vexed his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their deeds. You begin to listen to and watch these false teachers give you wrong, perverted truth over and over and over again, it will vex your righteous soul. It will bring you to the point where it will draw you in. And that's why Paul so strongly, so strongly, and even Christ in teaching His disciples, warned against false teachers. And not just the ones that were easy to see, but the ones who weren't so easy to see. The ones who would very cleverly, very shrewdly, bring something that the Scripture doesn't say into being, and everybody would be like, boy, that's good preaching. It might have been good preaching, but the Bible didn't say it. Men that will say, if you don't do this, if you don't live at this level, if you don't have this particular standard in your life, then you are sinful and you are not right with God. And boy, it makes for some good preaching. And it makes our hearts stir. We say, oh boy, that's good. But it's not in Scripture. And I'm not saying everything they teach like that is a bad thing to teach. I'm saying it's a bad thing to teach and say that is Bible. And if you don't do it, you're sinful. We need to be very, very careful, not only of the ones that are easy to discern, but even the ones that come in sheep's clothing. And they add things to this book. They twist Scripture to make it say what they want it to say. And they will do it all under the guise of making it sound so good to people who hold to doctrinal purity that many of them, if we are not careful, will say, boy, that's good preaching, preacher. And it's not in Scripture. 
So I would say this. I don't care how long you've been in church. I don't care what group you were raised in. I don't care how long you've sat under preaching. Question everything by this book. Everything. You say, well, I've had that settled for 20 years. Still question it by this book. How many of you know more today about Scriptures than you did 15 years ago? Is it possible then that we might have established a truth and a standard or a doctrine in our lives with the understanding we had 15 years ago that maybe, because we know more about Scripture today than we did then, we find that maybe that wasn't the right Scripture or the right doctrine or the right position? This guy's had it happen. There are things I used to preach from the pulpit 25 years ago that when I finally found it in Scripture a little bit more understood it and and looked at it, I had to come back and say, folks, I was wrong on that. I I was teaching what I'd been taught by other people and by looking at this handful of verses. But when I studied the Bible in its entirety on the doctrine, I found that it was not the right doctrine to have. And folks, I'm not saying that preachers need to do this, although they do. And I think we need our, our world needs a healthy dose of preachers who will do that. I'm saying everyone that sits in the pews of our churches need to do that. Because if you're like I am, you've been in a lot of churches and heard a lot of teaching. And if we're not careful, we will hold to something that whether intentionally or unintentionally, was given to us as a false doctrine or false teaching. Question everything by Scripture. Make sure it's right. All right? Let's stand. We'll be dismissed in prayer. Father, we're thankful for Your Word. The things we talked about tonight, as we've dealt with this subject for two or three weeks, the early parts of this teaching, it's easy to say, Amen, that's great, that's good, I 